Forge family last week, Isaac led us through Ephesians 4, 11 to 16, lighting up the five-fold ministry of the apostles, prophets, evangelists, and teachers. These leadership assignments come with matching gifts from Holy Spirit. And as seen as office, they're seen as offices in the body of Christ. These men and women so gifted build up the body of Christ, equipping us to walk by faith. The goal is to arrive at uh, a unity of the faith, a knowledge by experience in Christ Jesus, which is on its way to producing spiritual maturity. That equipping toward unity and knowledge sets up the body to stand firm in the midst of the storm, in the midst of crazy, being, you know, we're not tossed back and forth to and fro, and, um, and we don't get distressed or blown out by incomplete, incorrect, or deviant doctrines that come up within the church. The trickery of men and the craftiness of the deceiver is, is recognized and warred against. Okay, and, we, and obviously the Lord is the one who has already won that battle, so we call on him. <clears throat> As we speak the truth in love, we continue to grow up into a full re- resemblance of Christ. <clears throat> He's the head of the body, and we, and we grow toward that direction. Now, granted, we never get there. He is the head, okay? Piece by piece, joint by joint, we're fit together by the energy of Holy Spirit at work within us, the body, the ecclesia, the church, as we grow up in the love of Christ Jesus. So let's pray. Present, living Lord, we of Forge Church would continue to encourage, lift up, and edify one another in love. We acknowledge your work here in our midst. That work is flawless, pure, holy, even when we are not. Keep us pressing forward, Lord, by Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, family, this week we're going to go back into chapter 4 of Ephesians and begin in chapter uh, 4, 17 to 19. We'll begin there. This is what it says. This I say, therefore, and affirm together with the Lord. It's a really interesting, it's like... I'm not just saying this. The Lord is all over this thing. Okay? This I say, therefore, and affirm, therefore, with the Lord, that you walk no longer, just as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart, and they, having become callous, having you know, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Whoa. So Paul immediately begins with the word therefore, and he goes back to the start of chapter 4, okay? Because he wants us to just, as we come into this teaching now, he wants all that's gone before in this, in this uh, section in Ephesians where we are beginning to, beginning to apply what we've been taught, um, he wants that posted up again. And so he, um, he says, we're to walk in a manner worthy of, their, of, of, his, of the calling with gentleness, humility, patience, and forbearance. And he looks back at the call of one hope, one spirit, one body, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all. 
he looked back at the gifts delivered by Holy Spirit as directed by the ascended Christ through Holy Spirit to be laid out on apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, and teachers. As well as there's, there's eight or nine other gifts that are listed in the four other lists in the New Testament. And those are readily supplied all over the body so that we begin to fit together. As, the, as that body in Ephesus had been growing up together for 10 years, Paul called out to them to be fitted and held together in every joint that their love in Christ would flow. Now, now he turns to the new converts with a word from the Lord, and he says to them, stop. Stop the old ways of Gentile living. You know, you, you're, you're going to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. The Gentiles were focused on empty things that had no value in the, in the kingdom of God. Their minds were filled with futile ruminations. Their minds had been blinded. You recall when we studied 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it says the God of this world has blinded the eyes of the lost. And that was the, that was the state they came from. And it had left them, and, it, and the Gentiles of that day, alienated and estranged from God. Then comes that pointed spear thrust here in the text. It says, the hearts of the Gentiles have been hardened. No man or woman, who, you know, their hearts are not hardened all at once. They're hardened over choice by choice over time. The word for hardened is porosis. Okay? And it means harder than stone. As sin continues, the heart loses all sensation of remorse or regret, and shameful things proceed to flow without feeling. In the steady flow of wrong choices, the life of God begins to withdraw and be shut out. Another way to describe the result is deadness. Hardness leads to deadness. And in our media, there are references to such deadness. Okay? John Gacy, Ted Bundy, the killing fields of Cambodia, the slaughter of Christian men, and the sexual slavery of Christian women by ISIS fighters, sins beyond even imagining. Therefore, God is called, you know, in, that, in that situation there, good is called evil, and evil is called good. Blindness and hardness of heart produce recklessness. The Gentiles became so callous by their grievous sins that they no longer had any sense of conscience. Openly, they flaunted great deviance. Bruce Boersma, he was a writer, places articles with the Chicago Tribune, said that Playboy magazine had published a parody of the conception of Christ, the incarnation of Christ, in which an angel-like nymph now, we would read that as demon, okay? An angel-like nymph tells Joseph that, quote, the Spirit of God, unquote, is on Mary's lover and then assures Joseph that, quote, the offspring is going to be a tremendous genius whose ideas will make Joseph a billionaire and the kid will be a messiah, unquote. Shame on them. Our media has recently been awash with accounts 
of Jeffrey Epstein and those he influenced. And there are many. Recklessness means you don't care who sees or knows what level of sensuality and impurity that you live out. Even that does not satisfy, but creates a deeper, darker hunger. It's essential that we see the world through Christ for what it is, radically lost. Kent Hughes says, a loss of the biblical vision of the world is behind the erosion of Orthodox Christianity in many places. We think immediately of some of the major cities in in America and, and a good big portion of Europe about that statement, okay? The loss of the biblical vision of the world is behind the erosion of Orthodox Christianity in many places because if you imagine that the world is better than it is, the necessity of Christ and his cross is lessened and the potential of unregenerate man is elevated. Now here, Paul is describing an old wardrobe. It's shredded, it's filthy, it stinks. And, and he is crying out to these, to these new believers who are, have come to Christ from being Gentiles. He says, leave it behind. Dump it. Get it off of yourselves. Verses 20 to 24, lay out the new wardrobe, the new lifestyle, new practice of the indwelling Christ. Quote, but you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have, taught and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is the likeness of God, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So here Paul said that the Ephesians had learned of Christ who is alive, reigning at the right hand of the Father in heaven, uh, but present with them by spirit. They had learned more than just facts. Okay? They've been doused in his presence, his teaching, his ethics, his character, and the atmosphere that that Jesus brings when he comes. Next, we see that Jesus was their teacher. F.F. Bruce wrote, Christ himself is the Christian's teacher, even if the teaching is given through the lips of the followers. To receive the teaching is in the truest sense to hear him. Unquote. So when true preaching is present, Jesus is invisibly in the pulpit and walking the aisles, personally teaching his followers. Paul wrote that not only was Jesus the subject and the teacher, he it was the atmosphere. The new converts had been instructed in Jesus. Now, I'm, I'm sure that this writing by St. Patrick in the 5th century is familiar to all of you, but it needs to be refreshed because it's this centrality of Christ that that, uh, St. Patrick was talking about. He said, Christ be with me, Christ within me, Christ behind me, Christ before me, Christ beside me, Christ to win me, 
Christ to comfort and restore me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ in quiet, Christ in anger, Christ in hearts of all that love me, Christ in mouth of friend and stranger. Even though the new Gentile converts had, by and large, laid aside their former lifestyle when they came to faith in Christ, Paul, in verse 22, is challenging them. He's charging them to continually lay aside their old way of life with its blindness, hardness of heart, and recklessness. No one lays it all aside at once. It is a daily thing, a daily laying down and taking up. The renewing of the mind of those new converts was by Holy Spirit, as it is with us. Again, continually. And thirdly, Paul urges them to put on the new man, the new woman, the new self. Not new in time, but new in quality. And do it once for all. Paul had taught them that... Quote, therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. That new creation, that new self was formed after the likeness of God. How God himself is in righteousness and holiness of truth. All right, Forge family. Uh, we studied in Colossians that taking off of the old and putting on the new here, Paul targets new believers in the sphere of the Ephesian house churches and, and the house churches that are scattered all over Asia Minor because this is a circular letter that's going to make its way around. For some readers, it was going to be new, fresh, uprooting truth. For some older believers, it, 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 again, it, it reminded them of where they came from and what they had done and what there's left to do. <clears throat> the reminder that the putting off of the old is not a one-time event. It is to be continuous. Now, that should put us on a war footing against deceit and a different solid foundation, a footing of deep humility, of saying, Lord, can't do this without you. You're the one who makes those changes. And that's the business of to lay down the old even before you act on it. Comes through the mind and you just go, done. Not even going to give that a moment's notice. <clears throat> the new man is not our work. It is crafted in us by Holy Spirit as we make daily right choices and mature in the faith. It flows to us by grace alone. While quote, we work out our salvation with fear and trembling... For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So that's Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, in which there's uh, described a divinely ordained synergy. He, Lord God, Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, have worked and are working in us. And we are to work with the power that they release in us. All right, let's pray. Holy Lord, your grace alone has rescued us, and it reaches out to the lost. We need your inner work 
so that we are dressed in the new wardrobe of righteousness, peace, and joy. We continually need to lay down the old and be further instructed by Jesus in Jesus. Draw us into your embrace so that we live out your ways. In Jesus' name, amen.